0: Viter House of Hospitality is a home for young men 18 to 23 who are seeking asylum from violence in their home countries and came to the U.S. without any family. Without Viter House and a home for them to live in, they would be placed by our government in county jails or adult immigration detention centers to await the long process for appealing and working for asylum. Hi, this is Father Corey Brose, Executive Director of Viator House of Hospitality, and this is the Life at Viator House podcast series. What I hope this podcast series shows is that the men at Viator House are a gift to the world, a gift to our nation. And this international interfaith community at Viator House of participants, of staff, of volunteers and donors, is really a slice of heaven. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Life at Viter House. Viter House of Hospitality, as you know, is a home for young men seeking asylum in the US who came to the United States without any family members. What we try to do in this podcast series is to educate our community and the larger nation about the gifts these young men are to our nation the Strength and courage they've shown in their lives, and how we can change our asylum system to make it more compassionate. We want to do that by introducing you to some of the fine men who have lived or currently live at Vider House and some of the wonderful members of the Vider House community. So, I'm here today with Isa, not his real name, from uh, West Africa. Isa came to Vider House about three and a half years ago after a long journey from West Africa to South America and then country by country up north to the U.S. border to where he asked for asylum. On his 18th birthday, um, as is true for almost all the young men who live at Vider House, he was released because he had a place to live. Viter House. and so I'm really grateful today, Isa, that you're with with us and you're willing to talk a little bit about your journey to Viter House, your experience at Viter House, and your experience now uh, since right you have moved out of Viter House and are living on your own. That's that's correct, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So, um, and I also want to. I want to remind our listeners that uh, the importance—it's so important to us that, that we respect the privacy of our participants and former participants. So while I will ask questions, they may not want to go into great detail, and so I'm going to respect that and move on to other questions. But let's just start. I mean, you're from West Africa, from correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And um, I can use. Your, the, your, the name of your country, Niger? Yes, sir. So, uh, how old were you, Isa, when you decided that it was too dangerous to be in your country?
1: Um, I was 17 at that time.
0: You were 17 at that time. And that's when you made your decision to leave. And respecting your own privacy, I don't want to pry, but. What can you say about your decision to leave? I mean, um, can you say anything about what was going on? Is your country a dangerous place to live? Was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. My own issue was uh, related to a family problem. Okay. Something like that. So it
0: was just too dangerous for you right there regarding some family issues, and so you left. Um. Can you tell me about when you left? What was your path just from Niger to South America? How did you get from Niger to South America?
1: Um, So when I first did was, I left Niger, I went to another country, like uh, I traveled from Um, to other different countries, Mm -hmm. other than my, my own country. So I went uh, from Niger to Burkina Faso. From there I went to Ghana.
0: Okay, from Niger to Burkina Faso to Ghana, and from Ghana to South America? Yeah. What country did you land in?
1: Uh, Brazil.
0: Okay. Did you know anyone in Brazil?
1: Um, not really.
0: And when you got to Brazil, um... Your goal was to get to the United States. Um, Or or what was your goal?
1: So, when I left my country, um, I was just trying to get somewhere where I can be more safe. So, when I went to Brazil, I had an hotel reservation.
0: A hotel reservation. Yeah.
1: So, uh, the night that I landed over there, so... I mean that they do have at the airport. You can get a bus or a taxi that okay. can take you from your hotel. Cause I already have the paper and everything. Okay. So <clears throat> I had a taxi that took me there to the hotel, and uh, I was just I went out to get some fresh air. So that then I met people from Haiti. From Haiti. Okay. Yeah. Who they speak my my language? One of the languages that I speak. That's where we had the conversation, and uh, they are the only people that I knew at that time. Wow. And uh, they were moving, like they were coming to America, and I didn't want to left behind, you know. So I get kind of followed them, cause they're the only people that I know, and uh, we speak the same language.
0: So, so you decided. Uh, when you when you decided to go to Brazil, did you think you might stay there, or did you know...?
1: Yeah, that was, yeah, I think I, I'm going to stay there, probably, yeah.
0: But when you met these friends, these yep. folks who became friends, yep. they encouraged you to go head towards America.
1: I mean, it wasn't their plan mm-hmm. to come to America. They just ask me, like, we just had conversation, and they tell me what they're about to do. They're about to leave Brazil, to come to America, and uh, yeah, it's up to me if uh, I want to come with them. I mean, if I can come with them or not, and uh, I had a little money with me at that time, so okay. I decided, why not? Because okay. they're the only people that I know so far, and... Uh...
0: Who, can I ask? It must have been difficult to arrange for your trip from Niger to Burkina Faso, to Ghana, to Brazil. Did someone help you make those arrangements?
1: Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Friend or?
1: Uh, Yeah, family.
0: Family. That helped realize that that in order for you to be safe, you had to leave. Yeah. Okay. All right, um, I think... Just untouched by the fact that you were 17, right? Yeah,
1: that's correct.
0: Cool. And it must have been so frightening, just to land in Brazil at 17, and it must have, and then to decide, well, I'll go to America. I mean, was it scary? Were you, were you hopeful? Were you? What were you thinking in your mind, in your heart? Um. Uh...
1: The time that I was making the decision, it wasn't scary at all. Because I don't know nothing. I mean, in my mind, I guess have to go is like just like this, you know, to just do it. And at that age, you know, you can think like everything is possible, you know. You don't really care about a lot of things. Okay. So I guess they did it, but it wasn't what I was thinking.
0: Okay. You did it partly because you had to do it to, to protect yourself.
1: Yeah, that's it. And then... Okay.
0: Um, And I know from Brazil, how many... How long was it from Brazil up to the U.S. border?
1: Um, It took me up to three months.
0: Up to three months. And... And... Were you with the people from Haiti for the entire trip? Or did you get separated from them?
1: Um... I was with some of them, okay. but and uh, some of them at some point we were separate, you know. Okay. But yeah, I did. I did come with some of them up to the border.
0: And you made that journey. Was it by foot, by bus, by boat? All three different times. How did you How did you travel? Generally.
1: Um. So most of the traveling we did it by uh, by bus okay and uh, we did some on a boat and uh, yeah we did walk too
0: okay yeah. part i know of the 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 most difficult part if i'm correct is the jungle separating south from central america
1: yeah that's correct the jungle it, yeah the jungle is the hardest thing you know going through the jungle.
0: And that was, I understand that's about 60 miles long and just mountain mud trails. Yeah,
1: I don't know how many miles, but all I remember it took me like seven days.
0: Seven days.
1: Yeah, that was the first jungle and that was the dangerous one. Yeah.
0: And you were there with others who walked, was there a guide with you through the jungle or was it just...
1: Yeah, we did have guide, like, yeah, we did okay. have a lot of guides, people that will guide you, guide you through the jungle.
0: Did you have to pay them?
1: Yeah, you have okay. to pay them. Yeah. Um,
0: but what was the hardest, I mean, this sounds like a stupid question, so forgive me. What was the hardest part of that seven days in the jungle? I imagine it was all hard, but when you think back, what, you know,
1: I mean, to me, one of the harder things was like, if you are, if you, if you go inside the jungle, <laughs> there is no way for you to give up. Cause, yeah, if you went in, you just have to do it if you can. Cause a lot of people are stuck in, and uh, nobody is gonna help you in there. It doesn't matter your age or your gender, they don't really care. Everybody was trying to survive inside the jungle.
0: Okay, so you just have to keep moving.
1: Keep moving, man. If you stop, they're going to left you behind, and it's over for you. Because nobody knows, like, if we know how the jungle is, we don't need people to guide us. So those people will get there, they will tell you, okay, um, we're going to walk you for a couple of hours, then we're going to let you go, we're going to give you direction, after like ten twenty minutes you will arrive to this place but that's not true. Wow. Yeah.
0: When you started the jungle walk, they told you it's only like twenty minutes?
1: So um at first the first person will tell you the entire jungle will be like six hours. Four hours, six hours journey. And uh after you guys been walking through the jungle maybe for an hour or two hours that person may tell you like okay I have to stop here because they may have police up there and once they catch me I will go to jail forever so but I will give you guys direction just keep walking for 30 minutes or something like that then you will arrive at this place and uh, yeah once we start walking you can work for work like for hours and uh, you will realize that yeah, that guy is lying. And you may end up finding <laughs> some people inside the jungle wow. that are guided too, so they will tell you, yeah, the, gu- the guy just lied to you guys. And if you want me to help you guys, like each one of you have to give me $10, $10 or $20, $20. And you guys may be like 40 people. Wow. So they will have to collect that money and they will tell you like um is a three hours, four hours work, and they will end up doing the same thing to you guys. So that's how we did it, like, for seven, seven days. Seven
0: days. And it's just sleeping yeah. outside. no food. No, no food. food. I
1: mean, uh, um, you can, the food that you bring with you, once you start walking, you may get tired, your body is kind of heavy, you can end up throwing some of the food out, because you will realize, yeah, I will get out soon, so I don't need the food with me, you know we just open the box, we throw our food, then, yeah, no food inside inside the jungle. The only water that we have is the Rio, the Rio?
0: The river, yeah.
1: Yes, the Rio River.
0: Because you dropped your food, because they said it was only a short walk.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you are carrying the food, your bag may be heavy, so you don't, and you may end up getting trouble, you know, cause if the bag is heavy, you've been walking for a couple of hours, you may end up getting tired. And you don't want that to happen to you. So you just have to throw the food.
0: I understand from what I've read that many people don't survive that jungle.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, from the group that I went, um, that we we went through the jungle together, yeah, um, we did survive, all of us. But yeah, the group that went before us, yeah, they they did have some people that were left behind. Mm. And uh, after we went out, the people that were coming, a lot of them kept now like yeah, they did have some people left, left in the jungle.
0: So that's just seven days, and then you had like more than two and a half months more on the yep. road. Some walking, some by bus. hmm
1: So um the time that was in 2016 when it came so at that time nicaragua closed their border so when nicaragua closed their border we have to um they do have connection okay. the people that does connection you have to pay them money and they will you know they will take you from uh, costa rica border costa rica and the nicaragua border to take you to guatemala border you know so to do that, you have to pay money, and they have to do that journey. Like they will start the journey around uh, five in the evening, like five five uh, p.m. So you guys have to walk like from five maybe until uh, two or three in the morning. From five o'clock, you guys have to walk through the jungle, cause if like everywhere in the city they do have police. That you know, if the police catch you guys, they will turn you right away.
0: So all through from all through Central America, you are trying. You're paying different people yeah. to either guide you by foot or get you on a bus. Yep. And you have to avoid the cities mm-hmm. so that you don't get arrested and kicked out. Yep. Uh, how did? What about eating? And how did you like? How did you earn money to buy food and did you have to work while you were traveling or did you have someone helping you from home with money or?
1: Um, while I was traveling I I didn't work at all. But they do have people that work. I mean, they do have a lot of people that will end up with nothing, they don't have nothing. So if you have family that you can call for help, if you call them, some of the family they do help. and. Some of them, they don't have the money, so then you have to stay there and work, find something to do.
0: So you were able to, family was able to help you?
1: Yeah, I did call people a couple of times and they were able to send me money.
0: I, I, I have known you for, what, more than three years. And I am always so inspired by the courage that you showed and the strength that you shoot to survive, just to get to the U.S. border. Um, and there at the border, how long did you have to wait before they would start your case and register you for asylum? Did you have to wait longer?
1: Um, no, I didn't, because the time that it came in, that was in 2016, so I had to wait for just a week. And uh, I just have to go get a ticket, like okay. I have to go uh, at the border, they do have, like, I think the border patrol or what. Yep. They will give you a ticket, and on the ticket there was written a date, and you just have to come that date with your ticket, and they will let
0: you. But you had to wait a week still. Yeah. And, yeah, like, where do you stay when you're waiting a week?
1: Church. They do have church at the border. So yeah. church opens Yeah, the and uh, they, give, they do give some food sometimes. You know?
0: So it's interesting, um, from what I hear you, as difficult at that journey, you came across some really good people too that walked with you and helped you through the way is that there is the people who just made money off you but there's also some good people it sounds
1: like oh yeah they do have good people um even uh in Mexico like right after the border of uh the Mexican border and the, the Guatemala border. They do have like a hotel. It's like okay. it's not a hotel; it's a motel. Okay. Yeah, the woman she's very nice. I mean, you can go there without anything, and she will help you. You know, you can stay over there.
0: Wow.
1: And if you need some money, she will pro she will give you money to go get food. But before you leave, make sure you contact your people, and they will send her the money. That's wonderful.
0: Uh, I guess that must have helped you keep going to know that there was good people there.
1: Yeah, she was very nice. Her entire family is nice, they are nice.
0: And when, I mean, we're the last question about this journey, but what kept you going? I mean, maybe that's a simplistic question because you kind of said you just keep going, you have no choice. But were there times when you wanted to give up or, and something helped you, something kept you going, or?
1: I mean, you cannot give up, because you see people are like, you know, you you are with people, like a lot of people, that nobody gave up, so you know that you you may end up making it, so just don't give up.
0: Do they, people encourage each other? Like the people you were walking with, did they, were they strengthening each other, hey, let's keep going, we can do this? Oh yeah. Okay. So you came to the border. What month did you arrive again in 2016?
1: Um, That was in August. Okay.
0: And you were 17? Yeah,
1: I was 17. And so
0: you were put into a youth shelter program for immigrant young men and women, right? Yeah. In the Chicago area. Um, And I know, and so that's where eventually we got to know you. Because you were going to turn 18, and you have no family, and so, Viterhouse House, uh, was it Brother Michael who interviewed you, or?
1: Yeah, it was Brother Michael and Sister. Oh, okay.
0: okay, about living at Viter House, and as I think our listeners know, that if you turn, if you come to the United States as a young person without family, to seek asylum when you turn 18 if you have no family to live with you're transferred from a youth program funded by the federal government to adult detention which might be a county jail or a for-profit prison for immigrants and that was kind of facing you right did they tell you hey you you may have to go to jail it you know when you turn 18 we're uh, before before they told you about Viter House, did they warn you?
1: Oh yeah, they will tell you the options that you have. Yeah, if you end up here turning turn 18 and you didn't get no place to go, yeah, you might go to jail.
0: What was that like, hearing that? Were you like, you came here for protection?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was hard. I mean, I was there for seven months and I've been, uh, like, when I was coming, the, the journey was like three months, so that's like ten months, and then we tell you, you and me, end up going to jail. That's something else, you know.
0: Well, thanks be to God, we knew, I think you're attorney, right? We knew yeah. you're a lawyer, and we interviewed you, and you said, yes, I'd like to come to Vider House. And uh, the day before your 18th birthday, you, you came to Vider House. And mm-hmm. What was that first day at Vider House like? Were you like, what was it like to show up there and?
1: Um, so first thing was, you know, I was uh, with uh, one of the guys um, in detention that he ended up going to Veltar. So when I was there, I met him and he talked to me about the program. He was like, bro, feel free, like, you are at home.
0: That's right. Uh, we that won't was... mention his name, but he's from Ghana. And so he was a good friend of yours in the youth program, yeah. and we accepted him into Vider House maybe, what, a month, a month earlier? And so you you had a friend there when you showed up.
1: Yeah, so that was a good feeling. They to tell you you are at home, so feel free. That's, that's really good.
0: Oh, good. And so you, and what was it, just when you look back at Viter House, what are some of the things that you remember, that helped you, that you think are important, were important for you?
1: Um, I mean everything, from the tutors, to the participants, to the case worker, and uh, the people that were um, taking care of the program, so everything was helpful.
0: That's wonderful. It's interesting, you, I want to talk a little bit about Uh, your success, the incredible success you experienced because of your hard work, but you said the other participants. Um, What did you feel like, what did it feel like living with probably 20, 22 guys from different countries, different faiths? You're Muslim. uh, What was that like? How did everyone get along and how did you feel? Did you feel part of something?
1: I mean, so that one I already experienced it at the detention center because uh, the floor I was laying on, we we were like forty something participants, so and the, the staff keep doing everything that people get along, you know, so.
0: Did it so? But you felt at home with the people at Vidor House, you know, like there was kind of a community there.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um. I know that um, one of the things that we make sure we encourage each participant to do is to further their education, uh, to not only learn English, but also to further their formal education. So you jumped at that opportunity to go to an alternative high school with other guys in the house. And uh, what was it? What was that like? Your experience of high school and your learning in, like your third language, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you didn't know any English when you left Niger.
1: Yeah.
0: So, so what was it like going to high school and living at Viter House? And what was that like?
1: Um, So at first it was kind of hard, you know, because. You were sitting inside the classroom. Sometimes you might not know what was going, what was going on because maybe the way the teacher talked, the student, you know, you might not understand what they were saying. But um, I had a couple tutors. So whenever I get off from school, they will be waiting for me at home and they keep helping me to improve my language. So that really
0: helped. And it's good to remind our listeners that your journey to school was how long from Viter House each day?
1: I think it's two hours.
0: It was close to, yeah, between yeah. 90 minutes and two hours, yeah. one way. And each way. And um, and then you got back, you met tutors. Help. Yep. Um, what were some of your favorite subjects in high school?
1: Oh, I like mathematics. (laughs) When I was going to Truman. Yeah, I like mathematics at that time.
0: How often each during the week did you have tutors in the evenings?
1: I think almost every day. Yeah, it was almost every day.
0: So, an hour and a half to two hours to school, school, an hour and a half to two hours back home, then tutors. Yep. And you also were able to go and work too.
1: Yeah. And yeah at some point I start working and uh, yeah.
0: I know that that's really important because you were building a life here and we're going to talk about that but you also are committed to helping your family back home right? Yeah. So that's I mean without going into specifics what what are some of the things your family uses the money you send for? You don't have to tell, like, why, what, how does the money help them that you're sending?
1: A lot. Yeah, the money helps a lot.
0: Food? I mean, housing? Okay.
1: I mean everything.
0: Everything, just living. So you made that courageous hard journey here, and now you're helping back. So you're going to school tutors working and the exciting news is what happened after at first in school what talk about that big news the graduation yeah the graduation
1: yeah that was really
0: exciting. yep why were you so proud of that
1: I mean, I, n- I never know that I will be able to achieve that, so. and I did it, so I'm really happy.
0: How much schooling did you have in Niger? How many years?
1: Um, so, yeah, I was in high school when I left Niger. Okay.
0: And you just didn't think you'd ever be able to complete yeah. high school? Wow, that's great. Um, And it was your hard work, it seems? But then the tutors.
1: Yeah, the tutors and help a lot.
0: Talk, tell a story. Who is the one of your favorite tutors?
1: Um, uh, Lou and Jerry. Lou and Jerry. Yeah. Talk about they that. Help, they help a lot. I mean, those couple, they help a lot. Yeah, they will answer your call whenever you call them to ask for your help. And they will always be there, you know. Even to listen to you, not even helping you with your education. They will have time to listen to you, whatever um, problem you are facing, Yeah, they will try to be part of it.
0: You also had a mentor at House. Can you talk a little bit about your mentor, who I know you're still connected with?
1: I mean, even this morning, I was chatting with him. So, yeah, he's really good too. Yeah, he's the one that, he helped me a lot, yeah, doing a lot of things.
0: In what ways did he help you? What did he help you learn or understand about life in the United States? Um,
1: Oh, one thing that he he really helped me with was my financial things.
0: Yeah. Your finances?
1: Yeah.
0: Because why is that important right now for you?
1: Because I have bills that I have to pay every month.
0: Including? Uh, Yeah, your apartment. Yeah. So, a year ago, you moved out.
1: Yep. That's
0: correct. So, that's really incredible. Uh, you moved out, and what's it like living on your own? You actually live with two other guys mm-hmm. who, who lived at Vider House. But, what's it like being in an apartment after this long journey? I
1: mean, it's different because uh, if you are living by yourself, Um, I mean, you have freedom to do a lot of things, you know, because you're paying all your bills, but then you really have to work hard, because every end of the month you have bills that will come out, and you have to pay them bills.
0: And your mentor really, Jack, really helped you with planning for that. Yep. Now, the the big news, the best news of the last couple years for you was what?
1: Uh, Winning my asylum test.
0: You won asylum. You tell this story a little, a lot, but tell me how you found out where you were when you found out.
1: Yeah, I was at school, and that was um, the first day back to school. That was in January. I just, I left home. I went to school. I was sitting inside the classroom. My phone was on the table. This is
0: Oakton Community College, where you're yeah. now a student.
1: Yeah. When the phone rang, when I turned it, then I had the email from my lawyer. He said your case was approved. Congratulations. <laughs> and I've been waiting for that like three years. So.
0: I wish I that I our like listeners could see your smile right now. <laughs> I mean, I re. It's what a wonderful day.
1: Yeah. That's one of the best days in my life.
0: And you had to wait three years. Yeah. And your case kind of got lost in the system.
1: Yeah, it did. It did get lost because um, the time that I filed my asylum case, I think uh, right after the system changed, so everything changed. So we that file our case, we have to wait. And uh, those new people that were coming, they have to go through their processes. Then later on, they will come back to us.
0: So the system changed. You were in line, and then everyone else got in front of you in line. And I know how hard that was for you to wait and wonder. What kept you hopeful? What kept, you know, at times when you thought, is this ever going to happen? What kept you going?
1: I mean, first the lawyer will keep talking to you about it. They will, they, they're going to tell you, like, they're not going to know when they're going to call you, but for sure they will call you. And uh, the other house people will keep encouraging you, you know, just don't give up. Yeah, don't give up.
0: Well, that makes me feel great that the house uh, staff, other participants?
1: I mean, some of the participants we were there after them, but once they came in because they came after us, and the when the system changed, they they did get like everything there. I was like, "What's going on? I was here before you. I've been here for a couple of years. yeah I still don't know what's going on with me, you know, but
0: yeah, this is um but but you persevered again. I keep thinking about this hard journey you made, those seven days in the jungle and it seems that you have a source of inner strength that keeps you moving forward and keeps you believing in yourself. Where did that come from?
1: I think that's what I believe in. At some point you just have to keep pushing hard, don't give up on anything and the best day will come.
0: That's wonderful. I know that you're Muslim and you're fasting. We're, we're taping this during Ramadan. Uh, has your faith helped you persevere or make it through this? Oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what has helped with your faith?
1: I mean, what we believe was like like everything that will happen to you was already, uh, was already written down, so nothing is going to change it. Just keep praying, you know. You'll be fine.
0: If you keep praying, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. And you found strength in that. Did you? Were you able to find time to pray during your journey?
1: Or oh yeah, long? always pray. Yeah. even during the journey, always pray.
0: So it sounds like that's also a really important um, source of strength for you. And I know at Vayda House. We, you had the opportunity to go to mosque yeah. and um, with guys, with other guys who are Muslim. Did you feel part of a little community with the other Muslim guys there?
1: Yeah, that, I still go to mosque like every day. Yeah. I just drive up there whenever it's almost time, like 50 minutes. You go to
0: the same mosque?
1: Yeah, every day.
0: That makes me feel really good that we helped you find a home there. Yeah. You just go every day?
1: Yeah, every day. Every prayer so I go there. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um,
0: you're going to graduate from Oakton sometime this year, right?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And what what are your dreams for the future? What would you like if you say, hey, I'm looking two, three years uh, down the road. I won't, I want to make this happen. I want this to happen.
1: I mean, my dream is once I graduate, to get a job in a major company.
0: Doing, what's your field again?
1: Networking, computer networking.
0: Okay. And you're studying computers, and so you graduate Oakton, and then do you want to go to a four-year?
1: Yeah, I will probably transfer to um, another four years. Yeah. Go there for two years and earn my bachelor's. From there, take it.
0: If I was a betting man, I would put my money on you (laughs) because you don't give up. You have incredible strength, courage, and I think it's important that people know that you care about others. There are several times at the house where you went with me and others and we packed food for hungry kids and we did service. Why was that important to you?
1: I mean, helping
0: people is good, so I always do when I can. Okay. Well, um, I want to thank you, Isha. Um, not just for this interview, but I feel like, and I, it's always been an honor to meet you. Um, you've made that incredible journey. You you stuck with it during that long wait for asylum. You won your case. You learned to drive, got a car, worked with a mentor or in your own apartment or working going to college, you're exactly the type of person that we would call in this nation a hero, to have surpassed all that and to continue to keep going forward and all the time being kind and honorable and caring about others. So uh, for those of us, those listening, I hope that you have been inspired again, as I have, by having this opportunity to talk once again with my brother here. And I hope that uh, you tell his story to others and you encourage them to create and maintain a place in their heart for young people coming here to seek asylum, not just because they deserve our compassion and support, but because they, they can come and inspire us strengthen us personally and strengthen our nation, just like Isa has done. Thank you very much for listening. We hope that you will listen again soon. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Life at Viator House podcast. We invite you to get to know Viator House. Visit our website, viatorhouseofhospitality.com. Sign up for brief newsletters that will give you a look at the many ways our young men are experiencing success and contributing to our nation already. Consider volunteering as a tutor or house assistant or finally join us as one of our financial donors as we work to provide hope, healing, and opportunity for the Men at Weider House. We're building an interfaith, international community that we'd like you to be part of.